0: Immersive Audio Podcast, in conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business, to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Matt Neutra, welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast. How are you today?
1: Oliver, thank you very much. Much for having me. Uh, appreciate you having me on the air, and um, I'm I'm doing okay given the current circumstances. And you
0: calling in from Boston, United States.
1: Yeah, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts.
0: Matt, uh, before we crack on properly, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a
1: little bit about your background? Sure. My name is Matt Neutra, and uh, I've been at Bose for 18 years. And right now, my title is Lead Experience Engineer. And uh, I work with a group of people who manages the technology behind all of our retail experiences. So I've been focused on advanced development in the domains of experience design, stereoscopic film, uh, VR, AR, pretty much anything that can be considered an immersive experience I, I get involved in. My background is I have a BS in geology from the University of Massachusetts, worked in the environmental field for a long time. And then went back to school and got a Master of Science in Geoinformation Science and worked on the precursor to Google Earth in the late 90s and eventually found my way to Bose. Very interesting. Not a lot of connections with audio. So I I come from a very musical family. My, My grandmother was a concert cellist and singer, one of the few people who could sing and play cello simultaneously. My father is a guitarist. My mother is a guitarist. My brother is a guitarist, bassist, and drummer. I'm a guitarist. And from a very, very young age, I was fascinated with recording. I've been recording since the mid-70s using you know, early cassette decks. And my brothers and I used to uh, record music and bounce it between boom boxes, and we would find unique ways to record. And I'm absolutely fascinated by the history of uh, recorded music. So that's sort of in my DNA. And it's found its way into my, my job, my career. Having worked for Bose for 18 years, I've been exposed to an incredible, you know, array of musicians, recording artists. Actually, I started at Bose as a multimedia producer. And one of my first jobs was to produce the demo CDs and DVDs for the company. So I've been involved in recording since a very young age through college and now into my, my regular career. Before we start
0: recording, you mentioned your grandfather of Austrian descent. Can you tell us more?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, My grandfather was Richard Neutra, the famous modern architect. And his philosophy was a nature near philosophy. So in as early as the 20s, he was designing for human biology and psychology. He coined the phrase biorealism in the mid 50s. And that means that the design of human created things should support and enhance human psychology and biology so his designs brought nature into the building and brought the building out into nature and blurred the line between those two things and so he was absolutely ob- obsessed with biology human psychology he was um, he actually started out as a landscape designer and then migrated to architecture in 1923, moved to the United States, worked with Louis Sullivan and Frank Lloyd Wright, and then moved out to California and made a name for himself as the essentially the father of of the international style of architecture.
0: Matt, how are you coping in the current climate with the social distancing and lockdown and whatnot?
1: You know, I, I think I'm like many other people, uh, making making the best of of the situation. I'm very fortunate to live in kind of a rural area, so I live on three acres of land. We have chickens and we have bees. I have 150 acres of conservation land right behind my house, so it's quite easy for me to social distance. Many of my colleagues live in New York City, in Boston, in in really highly populated areas, and and they're having a much rougher time of it. So I feel actually quite fortunate to be in the woods and be away from people um, just by By situation. So um, I'm hanging in there, but I'm I'm spending a lot of time connecting with a lot of friends and colleagues to make sure that they're okay and really focusing on personal connections. So, you know, I've actually noticed that, and fortunately, the world of sort of fake social lifestyle through Facebook and other social media is really kind of taking a backseat to the reality of human connection, which is, I think, a, a, a silver lining to this whole situation.
0: Obviously you you just said you've spent 18 years working at Bose which is a quite an impressive run and you kind of touched already what was your initial position can you tell us a little bit more about your journey from that from the beginning and the connection between your current role and you originally getting into audio and uh, moving on the career ladder
1: yeah so when i started at Bose i started as a producer and There were two classes of content that that i would produce uh the first class was audio only so when you know back in the day when we were selling wave radios and stereo speakers every speaker came with a cd that would demonstrate that product and so my role was to produce the content and manage the production of the content of demo materials for for those products and then when we got into surround sound systems and dvd systems I focused on DVDs. And then eventually things got a little more technical and a little more complicated when our automotive systems started to include DVD and SACD and other sort of complex spatial formats. And so I really cut my teeth learning how to produce and manage all these technical surround sound formats. And eventually our products no longer had the source built into them. So around 2005, we had our first sourceless system, which was a USB speaker. When we migrated to sourceless systems, we had to figure out a way to demonstrate those with other hardware. And at that time, it was around 2005, I approached a small 12-person company in Los Gatos called Roku that was making internet streaming radio players. You know, it would stream, you know, uh, internet radio. And I asked uh, Anthony Wood, who is the founder of Roku, if he was interested in building us a solid state media player. And he was, and he did. And we, you know, paid Roku to build us some of the very first digital signage devices that myself and a team of folks at Bose wrote the spec for and designed. And that was really the turning point in my career where I went from pure media production to system design media production, and experience design. Because at that point, we became a partner with Roku and started to create hardware. And eventually, Roku took that hardware and turned it into the Netflix player. I mean, obviously, they had they had their own plans for things like that. And their investors asked them to spin off the digital signage part of that business. And a company called BrightSign spun out of that. And that was around 2009. I went out to BrightSign at that time and had them design new digital signage players for us and we've been using those for for some time so that's where i sort of switched into research mode and got more involved in the hardware and the and designing the workflows for that stuff so you know back in the days when people were using blu-rays and dvds and hd dvds to demonstrate products we were using a solid state media player that was custom built for us and part of that required that the the team of folks that I was working with had to design the production workflow for this entirely new medium. You know, We had to figure out how to encode video that would play back on these things. We had to figure out how to mux surround sound and audio into these uh, video streams. And so I got very, very deep into the technical aspects of that. I joined SMPTE, the Society of Motion Picture and Television Engineers, so that I could get access to people who knew how to do that stuff. And then, you know, fast forward to two years ago when we started to do some really interesting stuff with wearables. We came out with a product called Bose Frames, which is a pair of sunglasses with audio built in. And again, we had to figure out how to spatialize audio with head tracked audio AR. It's been a long journey. And, you know, they say overnight success takes 10 years. So, my overnight success has taken, taken 18 years, <laughs> but it's but it's uh, included some really interesting interactions with different industries and tons of really smart people in those industries, and and that's how I've kind of gotten to where I am today. Just for a moment, can we talk
0: about Bose itself as a company? So obviously, it's a global brand. It's a well-known brand in many countries across generations. Can you just give a little overview the scale of the operation, the kind of things you make uh, for consumers?
1: So before I get started, I should say that I'm speaking on behalf of Matt Neutra, not on behalf of Bose. I know a lot about Bose, and I can talk about the things that are public about Bose. uh, But there are things that I can't say about Bose, obviously. So um, this is Matt Neutra talking about Bose. So Bose was founded in 1964 by Dr. Amar Bose, and he was a an MIT professor who started a company to to do research and solve human problems. And the first problems that he solved were power conversion problems and systems problems like that. But eventually, and part of his personality was he was fascinated by everything. And when he saw a problem, uh, there was rarely a problem that he didn't want to solve. And when he became a full professor at MIT, he went out and treated himself to the best specified speaker he could find. And he brought it home. He played it and found that it fell way short of his expectations despite the fact that it had you know all the all the right specs and the numbers were right and what he realized was that there was something fundamentally wrong with the way speakers were designed at the time and so he as a as a researcher and as a as a deeply curious person decided to do research in that and he did this as part of his his new company and designed uh, the first direct reflecting speaker called the 2201. It was sort of an eighth of a sphere that would you would put one in one corner of a room and another in the other corner of a room and it had 22 speakers that would reflect the sound all around the room. And the insight that he had was the problem with speakers of the day was that they were direct sound only. They did not take into account the reflected sound in the room. So if you play a violin or if you go to see an orchestra, the room is one of the most important instruments In that scenario, the instruments play a role, obviously, and the musicians certainly play a role, but the room itself is part of the equation. And so the 2201 was the first speaker that took that into account. It sounded great, didn't look very good, didn't sell very well. And so they went back to the drawing board and Dr. Bose came up with the next iteration of direct reflecting speaker called the 901. And the 901 had eight drivers facing away from the listener and one driver facing toward the listener, hence the the nine speakers with one facing the, the listener, the 901. And that's how the company started in the in the domain of audio. And that was a successful product. And then there were many other successful products that followed. But all along, you know, Bose conducted research in other things. So um, one example would be a a 30-year research project, codenamed Project Sound, which developed and built the world's best automotive suspension system. It was an uh, electromagnetic suspension system where each wheel had a linear motor, not unlike a speaker, but certainly way more powerful. And that motor would, using sensors and other things, monitor the road. And instead of absorbing the shock of a bump, it would literally lift the wheel over the bump or push the wheel into the bump and lift it out of it. And so the result was the world's best automotive suspension system which was released to the press in 2005. And so the company has a very long history of innovation, clear ties to audio, and that's what the public sees. But under the hood, it's a research company. And in, um, in uh, 2011, Dr. Bose did something very bold, which was to give the majority of the company to MIT in the form of non-voting shares. So MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology essentially owns Bose but doesn't have any say on how we run the business and there are many many other innovations that have come from Bose that the public experiences every day it's fascinating it's a lot of facts I've never heard about they're interesting how big is the company so the headquarters is in Framingham Massachusetts which is right you know eight miles from where I'm sitting right now just outside of Boston just west of Boston Massachusetts Uh, We have offices, we have an office in San Francisco. We have offices in um, the Netherlands and um, in Japan and um, in other locations around the world. It's a global company. I can't comment on the size or market cap because that's a private company and that information is private, but um, it's, um, you know, it's a company that has been around since 1964 and has been innovating since then. Is Dr. Bo still involved?
0: in uh, everyday operations and innovation and research?
1: No, so unfortunately, Dr. Bose passed away in, in um, 2013. And I had the, the pleasure of, of um, meeting him and working on projects with him. And he was an amazing human being. Uh, he was an incredible engineer. He was an incredible marketer. I mean, he was the chief marketing officer for Bose when he was alive, not by title, but just, you know, de facto. So, you know, you can look up a lot of really interesting information and interviews online with Dr. Bose and get a flavor for who he was as a person. But he was, you know, at, at his heart, he was an educator. He taught at MIT until, I think, 2001 or 2002. Um, around the time that I started at Bose, he was just sort of winding down his teaching career. And he was deeply involved in the company. And And of course, now others are taken on the mantle. But his greatest invention was the Bose Corporation. The, the way that the company runs and the way that people operate under that brand is, is his greatest invention. So fast forward to
0: recent times, and this is exactly how we met. I believe last year you did a talk at Digital Catapult Surround Soundscapes uh, event, which was devoted to importance of immersive audio, which I also had a pleasure to talk at. You presented at the time, a relatively new product and concept, Bose AR, which you already touched on by talking about Bose Frames. So maybe
1: we can talk about Bose AR. So in 2018, Bose showed up to South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, with 30 3D printed prototypes of something called Bose Frames, which is a pair of sunglasses with audio built into the frame of the glasses. So on the left side of this of the frame there's a speaker right by your ear and on the right side of the frame there's a speaker right by your ear and this is an evolution of open ear audio that Bose has been working on for a long time there are products that are out in the world that have that same sort of concept the first one was the Soundware companion which is sort of like a, a neck speaker that is really isolated to to you so we showed up to South by Southwest with these these audio sunglasses But not only did these sunglasses have speakers built into the frames of the glasses, they also had sensors built into them. So a compass, a gyroscope, and and an accelerometer. Because there were sensors in this wearable speaker, basically an open-ear headphone, when you turn your head, we can do some really interesting things with that audio. So for example, when you look to the left, we could pan the audio to the right. And by doing that, we could make the audio sticky in the world around you. And so the AR and Bose AR was sort of augmented reality, but audio augmented reality. And that's that's the concept there. Now the, the good news is that these wearable products like our Bose frames are open ear headphones. That's really what they are. And whether or not they have sensors in them is less important because it's actually an awesome open ear listening experience. So instead of having something jammed in your ear, and blocking your, the world around you, you have a sense of presence in the world because your ears aren't blocked, but you also have headphone quality sound being played that only you can hear. So it's really a magical experience. I don't know if you've tried them, but it's- um, I have a pair, I love them. It's an awesome product. I mean, at the end of the day, the things that Bose makes are, are products that sol- solve human problems. So so in 2018, we introduced this product. A year, like nine months later, this product was rolling off a production line. And so December of 2018, we started selling this product. And we also started to put these sensors into our headphones. So our noise-canceling headphones, both our QC35 headphones and our noise-canceling headphones 700, have these sensors also built into them. And there are other Bose products that have sensors built into them that are coming out. And so the interesting thing about the hardware aspect of it is that it's the first time that augmented reality has had two really important characteristics. One is it's socially acceptable to have it out in public. And the second is it has scale because Bose makes and sells lots of wearable products. There's this really interesting thing that was going on at the time, which was people were really, really interested in this wearable device that wasn't, you know, an Oculus that covered your face. And it was something that you that people had anyway: pair of headphones, pair of glasses. and so I can walk around and wear that augmented reality device you know all day comfortably, and nobody cares. People look at my face and wouldn't know the difference and so that's one aspect of it now the the software aspect of it, it at that same time we released a software development kit and started a beta of a software development kit to take advantage of the sensors in the wearable products. And that included a library, an audio library called Mach1 that we licensed from Mach1 in New York City. And uh, we can talk a little bit more about that because that's a really interesting technology and an interesting way to manipulate spatial audio. And then the other aspect of it was that we cr- we bought a company called Detour that was making audio tours, and we rebuilt that tool also as a beta, something called the Creator Tool, but it's... um a drag-and-drop web interface for dropping spatial audio scenes in the world or around your head. So the sensors in the glasses and the headphones let you measure things like gestures, like nodding yes, nodding no, looking up, looking down, looking left, looking right. And we use that as the human interface for managing and and interacting with spatial audio. So I could have an interactive story, for example, that says, hey, welcome to the Gardner Museum if you want to learn more about this painting look left and you look left and then that triggers a new piece of spatial audio and so you know we worked on that for some time and you know again this is one of these journeys where you're not sure if it's going to work or not but along the way you learn lots of really interesting stuff and meet lots of really interesting people so right after that digital catapult event we came back to london and sponsored the the rain dance film festival we were at the tribeca film festival we were of course at south by southwest again And, you know, met people in the film industry, in the music industry, and made these really fascinating connections with really interesting, smart people and learned what they were trying to do with spatial audio. Right now, we're in a state where VR entertainment is starting to really kind of wane. But the industrial application of VR and spatial visuals and spatial audio is really taking off because there's money there, right? The entertainment industry is really kind of reeling... There are a few really great examples like Beat Saber, and, and um, Within just came out with a similar kind of exercise app. But generally speaking, you know, th- there's a fundamental problem with virtual reality as it is today, which is it takes away the resolution of one of your most important senses, which is sight, right? So when I wake up in the morning, and this is actually a realization that I made, having worked on VR and stereoscopic visuals for over a decade, I woke up one morning and I opened my eyes and I'm like, that's why VR is not going to (laughs) work because I open my eyes and I, I see the world's highest resolution reality system. And I look around the room and rub my eyes and I'm seeing the highest fidelity that I could possibly see. And it's in stereo vision. And when I listen, I'm hearing the highest fidelity reality that I can experience. It's called the world, the sound around me and Everything that tries to simulate that is an approximation of that that reality, right? So if you look at the two components of VR, the visual component and the audio component, the visual component is always chasing the actual resolution of reality. And so you're starting at a major disadvantage. At some point you'll get there, but you have to have this giant thing on your face and that thing tells your eyes that the thing is forty feet away when in reality it's three centimeters away, and there's problems with that. There's physical problems with that. But look at the other component, which is the audio component, and the audio component is actually close to reality. In some place, in some cases, you know, if you have a really nice reproduction system, it's really mimics reality and can fool the brain. And so, um, taking an audio only approach was actually a really smart way to to dip our toe into this this augmented reality world because you're you're there in terms of quality, right? Audio quality has been at a level that is commensurate with the human senses for decades. So obviously Bose AR-powered devices are
0: just very good listening experience hardware in its own right. But I'd love to hear more about um, some interesting case studies that took on Bose AR technology and implemented that in the kind of functional and creative way. There's a number of apps that are kind of musical experiences or more kind of functional marketing tools or or even small games and things like, can you share some case studies as well?
1: Sure. So I can talk about some higher profile things that were done. So um, 2019, Jessica Brillhart brought um, a Bose Air experience to South by Southwest called Traverse which was a six degrees of freedom experience where you could walk around a 50-year-old recording of Elvis Presley. And she was able to acquire the stems um, from Sony Music and uh, Authentic Brands Group. And she took two songs. I think it was Suspicious Minds and I can't remember the other one. But you could actually start the experience wearing a Bose Air product and start in the middle of a a room scale experience. and it used AR kit, it used RSDK, it used a bunch of different you know uh, methods of, of getting the six degrees of freedom. And you could walk around the room and walk up to El- where Elvis was standing and hear him singing and breathing. You could walk over to where the harmonica player was and hear the harmonica player. And as you turned your head and walked around this space, you were literally walking around the recording studio where this where this thing was you know recorded. And it was actually the first multi-track recording of Elvis that was made because at the time he was traveling so much that he had to remotely participate in these recordings. So the band was in the studio, but then he would re- lay down the vocal tracks later. So it was the first multi-track uh, Elvis, one of the first multi-track Elvis recordings. And so that was the way that you could take those individual stems and place them spatially around the room based on you know historical information and walk around that mix. That was one really cool implementation of it. Another more recent implementation was for the launch of the last Star Wars movie. We partnered with Lucasfilm and a company called Trigger in LA and built another six-DOF and three-DOF experience for the Star Wars movie. And it followed the path of Luke's lightsaber. And so there were different scenes, like the scene where Darth Vader tells Luke that he's his father and the scene where Anakin and Obi-Wan fight on the lava planet. And, you know, as the scene plays out, you could choose to take the perspective from an audio point of view of Luke or Darth Vader or a third person or Obi-Wan and Anakin or a third person. And then there were little Easter eggs where you could hear Ben Burke talk about the sound design and things like that. And that was a really interesting implementation of it. And then we've done some prototyping with museums where we did virtual, you know, a virtual museum tour for a museum in Boston I've been working with an unspecified record label doing a virtual album that had interstitial commentary from the artist talking about the song spatially that had sound effects and stories. So it's almost like a, a choose your own adventure album where you could choose to listen to the album and just hear the songs that are remixed spatially using the Mach 1 spatial audio panner. Or you could listen to that spatial mix and have spatial audio of the artist talking about the track and having sound effects of being at the beach when they wrote the song and things like that. So it's sort of a hybrid of podcast meets audio book meets spatial audio meets record album. And the other projects that we've done, we did like a virtual tour of Austin, Texas for South by Southwest, where we dropped pins on a map and associate spatial audio with those pins. And as you walk up to a restaurant, the sound would come from the direction of the restaurant and tell you about the restaurant. And you hear the sound effects of the inside of the restaurant. So again, audio storytelling, spatial audio with a geographic twist. And this is not entirely unique to Bose. People have been doing this by hook or crook for literally decades. Audio storytelling and spatial audio storytelling and geospatial audio storytelling has been done many, many times by many, many people over the years. And uh, what we did over the last couple of years is consolidate it into an easy-to-use tool. Along that journey... I got to learn. I got first of all, I got to to uh, dust off my mapping skills since I have a master's degree in geographic information systems, and I got to dust off my audio engineering hat and get back into Reaper and learn new spatial panning tools. And I also got to meet a lot of the industry leaders in that space. You know, like I got to actually, Mirick, um, who was on your your podcast, your previous podcast. I visited him at Abbey Road Studios twice over the last uh, year and a half something I never would have had a chance to do. You know, I got to hang out in Studio A and B at Capitol Records for a couple of times. But, you know, all of it makes the journey a lot more fun, right? Well, uh, just
0: to help our listeners to get the grips with Bose AR content, for those who have devices such as Comfort headphones, second gen, or Bose 700s, or indeed Bose Frames themselves, what's the easiest way to... Go ahead and download something exciting to enjoy. Um, there's a radar app, right? Maybe there's like um, a place to go where um, all the best apps that have been produced so far are carefully curated for the audience.
1: Yeah, in the in the app store, you can do a search for Bosear and you can find what's up there. That's where you can find things. And also, there's um, there's a Microsoft. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Oh, the Microsoft Soundscape is the thing I was thinking of. There's AutoCast, Microsoft Soundscape, Headbop Hero.
0: Here's an example of binaural rendering. These two audio scenes were mixed using the Mac 1 spatial panner and recorded whilst wearing a Bose AR device to track head motion.
1: Okay, the forest. When you get there, just listen and breathe. Turn your head slowly to focus on different sounds around you. all of these efforts by bose and by other people samsung and and htc and oculus and, and Real, all these companies that are doing augmented and virtual reality stuff these are all really kind of experiments if you will if you think about the scale of these things it's definitely on the fringe yeah yeah i mean they're on the they're really on the fringe like the general public doesn't really have access to that kind of technology and so, you know, forget about the AR part of what we're doing and think about just the wearables part of what we're doing. You know, our wearables are useful devices for humans. That's what makes a difference. That's how how you make a product that is successful and has scale. You solve a human problem. Sometimes that human problem involves the rendering of audio. And, you know, we're there. We do that. That's, what, that's our strength. And more and more, it's going to include the rendering of spatial audio because that that is a, a natural human biological thing that we do with our ears we have two ears for a reason the distance between our two ears is 0.7 milliseconds and that that's how we tell that there's a lion in the grass or you know a baby is crying and, that needs help or, or whatever like you know and where is it coming from and so you know coming back to sort of my grandfather's philosophy of biorealism like how does technology support human biology how does technology solve human problems in life and that's how you find products that have meaning is by solving problems if you think of all of the products that you really care about like the physical things that are designed things that you care about you care about them because they do something for you not because they're shiny or not because it's technically marvelous or you know none of those things it's because it solves a problem for you if you forget about the audio tracking part of it and the spatial audio part of it, and you just think of it as a user interface, you could answer a phone call by nodding your head yes or decline a phone call by shaking your head no. And that would be far more acceptable than pulling out your phone and stopping a conversation with somebody and poking a screen, right? So you'll find that these interfaces, these things that we wear, will become more and more part of our our physical interactions with the world. And interfaces will be less, you know, these weird behaviors that we have to do, like swipe left, swipe left, right, you know, things like that. We'll be using natural human gestures like nodding yes or looking at something or pointing at something. And those gestures will be part of our user interface to technology in the future. That's that's where things are going to go.
0: So Matt, you mentioned Mac 1, which is, uh, again, relatively recent uh, development in the world of spatial audio. It's a really interesting concept and a new set of tools to produce content for that format. Can you elaborate on what mach one spatial audio format is? And also, what were the kind of thinking behind integrating
1: Mach1 format as part of Bose, our platform? So um, I met the Mach1 guys through Jessica Brillhart back in 2018. They came up to Bose and I shared with them some spatial audio work that I was doing. And we kind of fell in love with each other. They're really awesome people, Jackie Bozenjak and Drajan Bozenjak and Dylan Marcus. So there are two companies really, it's Q department, which is their music studio in New York. And they are sort of the premier 360 spatial audio um, mixing house in the country, if not the world. And they, you know, have done 360 audio for 360 films for many years and they're innovators in that space. And so that's Q department. And they started Mach 1 because they kept on having clients come back to them and say, oh, could you take that 360 mix for Samsung Gear and, and make it for Facebook 360? Oh, and they come back again and say, hey, could you make a 7.1 mix for that? Could you make a Dolby Atmos mix for that? Could you make a, you know, et cetera, et cetera, an ambisonic mix for that? And so they, they recognized that they were redoing work over and over again. And so instead of, you know, having this really inefficient workflow, they started Mach 1 and built from scratch this spatial audio panner, encoder, a transcoder, and a decoder. And what that means is that they would mix in Pro Tools, a spatial mix, and then they could output it to any format using their own home spun tools, the Mach 1 encoder and the Mach 1 panner because they had to do spatial audio mixing in standard DAWs like Pro Tools and Reaper. And so they created a plugin, a VST plugin for... Uh, Pro Tools and Reaper and Nuendo and a couple of other DAWs that would let you spatially pan around you, over your head, behind you, and so forth. And then you could monitor it with their monitor plugin wearing a regular pair of headphones. And they actually built their own IMU and literally duct taped it to a top of a pair of headphones. And when I met them and we told them what we were doing, they freaked out because they were so excited that a big company like Bose was building headphones with an IMU built into it. And so we gave them a pair of headphones with the IMU built into it. They modified the Mach 1 plugin to work with that. And so now they use Bose headphones to do the spatial mix because they can turn their head while listening to Pro Tools. And as they turn their head, they can look around the mix as opposed to panning something on a, on a screen. So what's IMU? That stands for inertial measurement unit, the sensor in our product that includes a gyroscope, a compass, and an accelerometer. And when you, you're connected to Pro Tools doing a mix with their tool, you know they have a special plugin that they built that lets them turn their head to do the panning and listen to the mix that way, as opposed to just moving knobs on a screen. And so it's a workflow enhancement. It's also a very, very pleasant way to mix spatial audio. It's not an official thing that you can do, but they've, They've been able to hack it to make it work. But uh, Mach 1 plugin is it's a, a vector-based spatial panner. And so there are two formats of Mach one. there's a four channel, Mach one that just takes into account where you're looking. And then there's an eight channel version that takes into account, you know, the height. And so with the four channels, it's sort of four points around you that you as you turn your head, the head tracking changes the mix in real time and turns it into a binaural mix that you're listening to. So if there's a stream to your left, when you look to your left, the stream you know shows up in front of you as you turn your head. It's object-based in the DAW, and then when you output the file, it bakes it into a channel-based render. So it's sort of like uh, you take a, a spatial snapshot, and you can actually do automation in the DAW, so you could have things pan around, and then when you bake the, the final output, the Mach 1 file, it bakes all those those spatial automation into the mix. So not only do you have the spatial automation that was provided by the DAW, you know, by panning and over time, but you also have the ability to turn your head and look around, change your point of view into that spatial mix. On the mixing side, you get to make creative choices about where things are over time, but then on the listening side, you can choose to direct your attention by turning your head to listen to it in a different way. The Mach 1 spatial format has eight channels. So imagine you're inside of a cube and the top corners of the cube are channels one and two in front of you and channels three and four behind you. And then at the bottom of the cube, channels five and six are in front of you and channels seven and eight are behind you. And so you're inside of this cube with virtual speakers in the corners. And as you turn your head, that audio changes. You know, there's there's channel-based systems there, there's object-based systems like Dolby Atmos and Sony 360 reality and Mach One don't use HRTFs so they're not coloring the audio the same way that like Facebook 360 audio tool or panner would you know add reverb or do other tricks to to externalize the sounds. And so the Mach One approach is an artistic approach. And their panner also has this sort of hyper panning concept where they have this 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 uh, parameter called divergence, which tells you how far away the thing is from you. And if you're if there's sort of these two reference circles in the panner, the inner circle represents sort of traditional panning where it's panned to the left, right, up, down, close or far. And if you look away from that object, you can still hear it, but it's it appears to be behind you. But if you if you pull the the divergence out all the way to the edge of this second reference circle, then you have this sort of hyper panning. I don't know what Mach One calls it, but I call it hyper panning. So if you look away from the object that's hyper panned, it attenuates down to zero if it's you know all the way to the edge of the circle. So you can do hyper real things like if you look away from something, it goes away, which is really interesting. And actually, one of the things that I've done with that panner is to do a duets experience where you have something in front of you, like you have a singer in front of you singing one version of a song, and then you have a singer behind you, fully diverged, singing another version of the song. And if you look directly at singer one, that's all you hear. And if you turn around and look directly at...
0: It's kind of an equivalent of mixed focus feature on Facebook, but it's, it's an interactive feature. It wouldn't be able to work with that on, the, on the, like a linear video. It would have to be built in the app,
1: right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and But if you look between those two things, then you hear the duet, you hear the two two singers simultaneously. Um, So those are the kinds of artistic choices that people make in tools that unlock experiences for people, right? So, you know, there are many tools to use and they all have their advantages and disadvantages. And you kind of have to learn them all to really understand, okay, what is the current state of all the tools in the world? And then from that, you can say, all right, now that I know the current state of the tools that are in the world... What can I do that's different and better to advance the artistic expression? And that's where I come in. I mean, that's where, you know, my focus is on that. Understand everything that's in the world and then take it apart and understand why it's not good enough and make it better. And that's that's ki- kind of a Bose thing, which is, you know, if it's not if it's not different, then it's not better. Yeah.
0: Just a little bit of information for the folks out there. Uh, Mach one spatial system is currently available free of charge. If you'd like to check it out, download and explore uh, what the cool, unique features it has on offer. It's definitely not a full replacement to um, an existing range of tools, but just like you explained, it's more options to the toolbox of the modern spatial audio creator. And um, I think the power is somewhere in the middle. uh, creative and tasteful use of all those tools for the for the right purpose in in conjunction with each other.
1: You can use the Mach One Panner with Reaper. So the Mach One Panner is free right now for folks who want to, you know, entertain themselves in this time of COVID, you know, stay at home. And Reaper is free. And so between Reaper and the Mach One plugin, for free, you can basically have a full spatial audio mixing system. And you know, I encourage anybody who's interested in Understanding spatial audio a little better. Download Reaper for free. Download the Mach One plugin for free. Set it up and start playing around. There's some great videos online. I think it's it's Mach One Spatial on YouTube. If you look up the Mach One Spatial on uh, YouTube, they have a whole channel showing how to do spatial panning. It's very very useful. That's one way to sort of get involved in spatial audio. You know, think about all the transitions that artists have had to make over the years. So, you know, it started with an Edison wax cylinder where you had to yell into a horn to record music. And then microphones got better. And then stereo became a thing. And then quadraphonic audio started in the 30s and then made a resurgence resurgence in the 70s. And then, you know, 5.1 audio and 7.1 audio and Dolby Atmos and Sony 360 and Mach 1. You know, the the, the tools that are available to artists are constantly shifting and the artists have to adjust the art to those tools as the sands shift.
0: Talking off music, what's your take on Sony 360 Reality
1: Audio and its personal listening optimization
0: feature integration?
1: Yeah, I'm just starting to dig into it. They're also taking a hardware and a software approach and anybody who's going to do this right in the future has to have at least some control over the whole tool chain, the hardware, software, signal path, all that stuff, right? So if you think about the perfect recording scenario, you would have a microphone set up, set up in a perfect room with perfect acoustics with a performer in the perfect spaces, the the perfect distance from all the microphones. You would then record that on the perfect system and then bring it into a production environment where you maintain and honor all of those parameters and then you manipulate that somehow either spatially or spectrally you know changing the eq adding reverbs doing whatever you're going to do and then you render it on the perfect system like the what is the perfect speaker for a particular instrument for example you know you have to sort of generalize a rendering device to accommodate things like a cello or a flute or a guitar or a voice or other things and so speakers are general rendering devices you know if you had a perfect cello recording system you would record every vibration of the cello you would capture that and then you would render that by vibrating an actual cello that would be that would be the most lifelike version of a cello but that's not how the world works you have A cello that then gets translated into uh, electrical impulses that gets translated into zeros and ones, that then gets translated back to an electrical signal, and then it vibrates a cone or a you know some other audio rendering device. And so, you know, if you're going to do the perfect thing, you have to control all those things. So Sony 360 audio, they they have Sony hardware that they want you to listen to it on. They have sony recording devices certainly that you could use to record stuff sony software to to spatialize the audio and pan it around and then on the hardware side they have this software to scan your ear so that the the headphones that you're listening on are optimized to the shape of your ear because when i listen to let's say let's use a cello as an example when i listen to a cello if i turn my head a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right the, the shape of my head affects the way that, that sounds; those sounds enter my ear and then make electrical impulses that go to my brain. And so, um, you know, Sony's doing a lot of the right things, which is you create tools to create spatial audio, you create hardware to render the audio, and you create software tools to make that hardware customizable to the person who's wearing it. By scanning
0: or taking a picture of your ear, it must be some kind of um, image recognition system in place that then goes ahead and matches with other images that have been captured previously that then associated with a bank of HRTFs. We again, we come back to some kind of average. Is it that much of a personal optimization listening experience or we're we coming back to the existing HRTF database or perhaps there's there's some kind of clever machine learning mechanism that reiterates and creates new HRTFs and this way expanding on the accuracy and the depth of that database.
1: Yeah, think think about what you're missing when you take a picture of somebody's ear. Right, Head, shoulders, the distance between the ears. And so, you know, this is early days of, of reaching towards modeling a digital human to, to solve a problem. And then, you know, the other thing I'll say is I'm a big fan of, of cheap and fast as well. So there are cheap and fast ways to get a good effect. So if you think about like a, a, a graph where on the y-axis you have the quality of the experience and on the x-axis you have the effort to achieve that experience, the graph would be very steep where you would get lots of gain in the experience with little effort. And then that graph would flatten out as you approach harder things to do. And the amount of improvement in the experience would be very, very small as things got harder and harder. And so you want to sort of live at the knee of the curve, as it were, right? You want to live right where that curve, right before that curve starts to flatten out. Companies like Sony and Dolby and other folks – could spend incredible amounts of money to get tiny, tiny gains and improvements in the experience. When in reality, you could really have a great experience by living at the knee of the curve there. So that's my metric. Here's here's the magic to demonstrating something with audio. And this is, uh, this is for your audience. Anybody who wants to give a good demo, I've been giving demos and thinking about demos for 18 years straight. And so I can tell you with some level of authority, if you're going to give an audio demo, use music or sounds that people have a point of reference with. That means either an acoustic instrument or a natural sound. Those are the two things that you want to use for a demonstration because humans have an amazing ability to reference things that are real. If you, if you were gonna, gonna do a demo with like a mini moog, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Because there's no real-world reference that somebody could use that's synthetic, right? So like a synthesizer sound or something like that just doesn't do the trick because there's no point of reference for reality. What are you doing with an audio demo? You're trying to recreate reality, coming back to this virtual and augmented reality conversation. That's what you're trying to do. And so if you use a sound that is not real, something that someone has never experienced in the real world, you've ruined your demo right at the right at the get-go. So, for example, a perfect demonstration instrument would be like a cello or guitar or a human voice. You've heard human voices, you've heard cellos, and you've heard guitars. You know what they're supposed to sound like. You know, why do you record audio? You record audio to do a number of things, to either bring someone to a place that they can't go, or connect them to a person they can't see or be with. It all comes down to this human connection, like what kinds of human connections or what kind of human benefits are you bringing by recording a song, telling a story, making a podcast or whatever, right? A good and compelling and interesting piece of audio is something that meets one of those requirements. Am I learning something that I didn't know? Am I hearing or feeling something I didn't feel before or want to feel or or can't feel because of, you know, some constraint? And so, you know, if you approach experience design and audio design with that in mind, you're going to make, you know, the next Beatles album or you're going to make the next incredible audio book or you're going to make the next incredible podcast. Spatial audio is a tool. It's, you know, it's a hammer or a wrench. And... Reverb is a tool. It's a screwdriver or, you know, a stapler. You know, these are just tools that you're using to build this thing for people. Or glue, to be more accurate. (laughs) Or glue, right, right, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm using crappy examples. But all of these things are tools. You know, Bose AR as a concept is a concept of a tool. And if it has a purpose and you're using it for good effect, then all of, you know, to your point, like if... There was a Bose AR experience that some big company did this amazing thing that met some human need. All of a sudden, it would be relevant. It would mean something. It would be a useful tool. And if you can't do that or you fail to do that, then, you know, people don't recognize the use of the tool. The same is true with any panner like Mach 1 or Sony 360 or Dolby Atmos. You know, Dolby Atmos is a great example because it's being applied across Many industries. It's being applied on the music industry. It's been applied in the, mo- the the movie industry, and it could be applied in lots of other places. And you know, if I look across the all the Bose products that we're that we've come out with and things that we're working on, so we've we have products that are noise canceling headphones that have hearing assistance built into them. The, the Bose earphones, incredibly valuable tool. People, uh, you know, there's a, a huge audience of people who absolutely rely on that tool to live to get through their day you know Bose frames it's a tool that i rely on every day i'm wearing my Bose frames right now when i get a phone call you know i answer it on my frames because it's a human natural experience that doesn't block my ears i'm actually having a hard time wearing earbuds now because i've been wearing frames so long and i have this you know i've been spoiled i can listen to music without blocking out the world like, who thought that I would be able to do that five years ago? It's an incredibly valuable tool. We should wrap up
0: this segment, and I'm going to finish off with one last question. We evidently see an emergence of immersive audio format from the likes of Dolby Atmos, MPEG-H, Mark 1, Ambisonics, you name it. Is that a healthy at the early stages of development? Or is that an obstacle? Do you see any consolidation efforts potentially aiding the mass adoption from consumer standpoint? Or perhaps a healthy competition, should it continue, will drive innovation and will offer consumer a variety of exciting options. And with the benefit of hindsight of many decades of experience working in the industry, I'd love to hear your opinion on
1: this. So I'll say this. Lots of people are going to waste a lot of money focusing on technology and formats and at the end of the day customers will not care as long as the experience that they have is pleasant and benefits them somehow that's my years of experience talking there think about 5.1 as a format you know it's a standard It's now commoditized. There's nothing really special about it. It's just a format. Dolby makes money every time you use a Dolby AC3 decoder and encoder. So their business model is fine. And this is what companies are trying to do. They're trying to have a format that's relevant and that they can make money every time it's used. And so Mach 1 is less less of a format but a technique, right, where they – they have these the ability to transcode. So part of their transcoders they can take any format and turn it into spatial audio and then render it on a device like a pair of Bose headphones. So what we're going to see is the format wars, yet another format war, where people are going to say, oh, it's Dolby or it's Sony or it's this or it's that. But at the end of the day, um, consumers won't care and consumers won't pay for anything other than an experience that they care about. So the way that will play out, I think, is through the streaming services like Amazon HD or Spotify or Title. You know, the 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 streaming services are going to be where those things get monetized because they're going to leverage these better experiences in their premium services. So spatial audio will show up in Amazon HD and spatial audio is showing up in Tidal and, you know, other other streaming services. That's where the war is going to be won is in the delivery of experiences to customers that customers pay a little bit extra for in a premium service.
0: What's in store for you personally and Bose as a team and a company in the near future?
1: So if I take a positive outlook on this, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that the positive benefit for me of this whole pandemic experience is that I'm focusing on the things that are important. I think many businesses, including Bose, are doing the same. When you pull a giant chunk of revenue away from a company, that company will focus and will focus on the things that are important. And some of those things will be technical, technically important things, but a lot of them will be financially important things, things that make money, things that are driving the business, and things that consumers and customers really care about. So over the next year or so, which is about how long it's going to take to come out of the other side of this thing, um, companies like Bose, companies like Sony, companies like Dolby, companies like the streaming services that i mentioned are going to focus on the things that really matter and so a lot of the sort of luxury fluff ideas and items are going to fall away and the things that are really important to people and to the human experience are going to be brought to the surface and i think that's a good thing um if there is anything good that comes out of this uh you know pandemic experience it is people will focus on what's really important to people and to the environment and to society. And I think that's, that's um, the silver lining here.
0: Matt, can you share one piece of advice with our audience that really
1: helped you in your career? Absolutely. The one, th- I'll, I'll, I'll share two pieces of advice. One of them came from my English teacher and he said to me, Matt, think, speak and write clearly. And if you can do those three things, you you can be successful. The personal advice that I would give people is work on things that you're passionate about and follow your passion. And it will take you to where you need to be. Um, You know, I started off as a field geologist, got fascinated by mapping, ended up working on the precursor to Google Earth in the late 90s. I've always been fascinated by music and recording. And when I had an opportunity to work at Bose, I followed that. And then inside of Bose followed music production to technical things that I was interested in and which led me to this, you know, immersive reality that blended mapping and sound and recording and experience design and all the things, you know, storytelling, things that I'm interested in. So just follow the things that you're passionate about. Do those things really well. And... Treat the people that you meet along the way with respect and listen to them and you'll you'll have a good time. You'll, you'll find yourself doing some interesting things and meeting some great people. Matt Neutra, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you. Oliver, thank you. It's been a ton of fun and um, stay safe. And I hope to meet you in person again, uh, hopefully uh, sooner than, than two years from now, but probably two years from now. <laughs> Before you go, we want to hear from you. If you'd like to let us know what you think about our show, please take the quick survey in this episode's description. It'll help us make the Immersive Audio Podcast even better. We really appreciate your feedback. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Michelle Chand and included music by Enabs Bergamo. If you can Head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out in pushing our show further. The podcast is also available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.